Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's football show with D-Mindy, Brass Adamus, Doc, and Johnny Foosball starts now. That man can go the distance every time he touches it. And I, I got to introduce this pristine guest that we got on the show today. We welcome in a man that goes by Kid Bro Sweets. Sheriff going to get you, Southeast Jerome, Dolmite Jenkins, and more. This nine-year beast of a running back is a two-time Pro Bowler, a 2008 second-team All-Pro, 2002 NFL Offensive Rookie Year, and one of the 80th, 80th greatest Washington players of all time. Not just that, but he rushed for under 10,000 yards, just under 10,000 yards of his career, scored 80 total touchdowns, and handles his Hennessy at a pro level. The only man... I know that as a championship championship belt ready because he knew he was about to score five touchdowns against my Kansas City Chiefs, and he did it with a little bit of Hennessy in him. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Mr. 2-6, Clint Portis. What's going on, man? I'm cool, man. The Hennessy started after the five touchdowns. It was after the five? <laughs> <laughs> was that a true story? You uh, you were like a little hungover going into that game? No, that was the Arizona game at the end of my rookie year. Okay, um, and that was like my first time drinking during the season because I, I I normally wouldn't drink in season. So we ended up having a rookie night, like on a Friday night, heading into our last game, and the effects lasted until Sunday. You know, and I I think that was just that might have been the beginning the lead to realize that I could have a sip of hand before the games and be okay. So. Uh, I think that kind of led to the down the line. Yeah, I mean, again, no one's going to argue with the production that you were putting up. And I understand you got to get loose a little bit sometimes before the game. I heard you mention in an interview, it's like getting, getting ready to go out for like a party. Like you're getting ready to get amped up and play. So I could see how that definitely can help get to that level for sure. Well, I, I think it's so many emotions is running through. You know, like when you're preparing to go uh, run into a mat truck or run through a brick wall, uh, you put you're preparing for collisions. Like what people don't realize is I never would take shots and I never would take pills. So, you know what I mean? For me, my body aching or I have something lingering instead of attempting to go in and, and take a shot or take medication, it was just simple for me. Like that was a lot simpler. I could do it before the game and be ready. You know, I mean, it, instead of uh, masking the pain and not knowing how I feel and then after the game, you know, I mean, you see so many guys that, that line up, they take shots and it's like, oh, I'm going to play through this game and then they miss the next couple weeks because uh, they made the injury worse because you, you didn't even feel it. So for me, I just never, I never was into that. And it was just one of those situations where, man, I'm a man up, I'm going to go out here and handle my business. But I'm going to take the edge off right quick and take this little shot in here. Man, I, I get it, man. I, I'm not a Henny guy, but I can totally understand how I could help get to where you need to be. Um, so I, I like to start you off kind of when the early years, kind of when, again, young CP back in the day, you grew up in Gainesville, right? Kind of out of Florida's backyard. Florida or uh, Maryland recruited you pretty hard, but you didn't end up being a Terp. How come you ended up choosing Miami over Maryland? Well, the only reason Maryland was in the in the picture is my best friend was already at Maryland. He graduated okay. in 98. So my best friend had already went to Maryland. And it was just that we get an opportunity to play again um, and we could change this program type, type mentality. And the coaches were great. You know, the coaches that the recruiting, their recruiting tip was everything. My visit was everything. You know, I felt really great, but it was my first visit. And, uh, you know, Steve Francis was there. I think that was the year maybe they won the uh, national championship that year. So we went to the basketball game, and I was a huge Steve Francis fan. I had a blast at on my Maryland visit. And then 
two weeks later, I went to Miami. It was over. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you in are you and Steve still cool? Y'all still kick it? Yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve, a good dude, man. Uh, always had respect for him. Just his grind, everything, man. You know the Rockets, the Magic. Uh, Steve was a tough dude, man. I don't think he get the credit he deserves for what he did on that court. You know, I think a lot of times off the court overshadows or not being, uh, you know, the, the person that everyone wants you to be overshadows the play. But Steve Francis was a dog. I mean, you have a nickname, The, the Franchise. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know what? That's crazy. Because if you think of all the guys that had a nickname, like that was kind of given to them to answer the franchise, like uh, the Diesel, you know what I mean? Like people don't get those. LeBron, what's, you know, King James, you know, uh, when you look, everyone don't get a nickname. And there's some cold, it's some cold people out here in sports, period. Uh, Marshawn with Beast Mode, you know, you, you have to put in some work to get a nickname. Right. Steve, I want to go back to you for a second because I did read that when you were in high school, you were actually thinking about going to South Carolina, but you got in a fight and that's why you ended up going to Florida. I got to know, did you win that fight? <laughs> I know, but that's, that's false. I, never, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get in any fights in, uh, in high school that were, that were public knowledge. So, <laughs> uh, I definitely didn't get into any fights that, that changed my, uh, changed my mind. You know, I think Miami was just that, the opportunity, it was the fit. You know, uh, once I got to Miami and met the guys, it was like I was already there. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm starting over. It was, man, my crew was already set upon my visit, you know, linking up with Santana and, you know, just the history that me and Santana have together from that point on. And uh, everything else, you know, I think everyone was so excited about the potential at Miami that, uh, before I even left Miami, I knew I was a part of it. So that was kind of one of those, and my mind wasn't made up like, oh, man, I'm going to the U. I'm going here. It was, I'm going to take my visits. I took my visits, and that was the fit, and I knew nothing would change because I put my Maryland visit, like, up to the ceiling to say, oh, you know what, Maryland, Maryland set the standards. But once I got to Miami, I forgot about Maryland. <sighs> Now, did you get? Did you also get recruited for track as well, too? Because I know that you ran track and broke some records while you were in high school. Well, it was kind of a, a, a two-way thing, you know. And I played defense as well. So a lot of the schools, of course, every school tell you you can do everything to get you on campus. So you know, there were a lot of schools telling me I could play both ways. I could play offense and defense. And then as time went on, I kind of realized it was some BS. You know, he was telling me that. So a lot of those schools, I, I took off the list. Um, Maryland was one of those schools that was open to the idea. Like, we never really had that. But, sure, you could try, you know. Um, and Miami was one of those schools. I honestly think Miami wanted to put me at DB. Um and Nigel Davenport got hurt first game of the season. And that's what kept me on the offensive side of the ball. Nigel Davenport got hurt in, in the kickoff classic my freshman year against Ohio State where he blew out his knee. So once his injury happened, they couldn't move me because it was James Jackson, Jared Payton, and myself. So, and I kind of picked up the system before Payton did. So that put me in the position to go on and, I think Duke Johnson might have broke my record, but up until then, I held the freshman Russian record at Miami. Yeah, I mean, I mean, speaking of Miami, the group that, I mean, first of all, you specifically, the second true freshman to start running back since the 1975 season. Uh, again, you set school records at the time, freshman records with five 100-yard performances, led the team with 838 yards, eight touchdowns on 143 carries. You also won a national championship, inducted into the Hall of Fame there. This whole interview could be the list of everybody you played with, but I just want to ask you, uh, what was it like playing on arguably the best college team of all time? Man, it was crazy because no one knew it. Like, no one we, – we didn't have the attitude that we were the best college team of all time. You know, we didn't have that arrogance that 
no one is better than us. You know, I think we came in, we just had that competition. Like, we're going to compete and we're going to make each other better. And no one wanted to allow the next guy to have a one-upper. You know, when, when you're competing against Ed Reed on a daily you like, man, I'm tired of this man getting the best of me. Like, I got to do something. You know, <laughs> uh, when you're competing against a Dan Morgan, uh, 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 Entrail Roll, a Jonathan Vilma, DJ Williams, Sean T. Vince Wilford, mm-hmm. when you're competing against those type of guys, you like, man, he's not going to one-up me. Like, I got to I gotta beat him. And then when you look on the offensive side of the ball and you see Santana get loose or you see Reggie Wayne get loose, or you see shocking, you know, it, it's like I got to get in where I fit in. So everybody just had a different competitiveness in them. Like it wasn't about us overall being the best team. It was about us trying to maximize our potential to be the best player at the U. And the realization came a lot later that, man, we had one hell of a team. Like maybe the best, not maybe, we had the best college football team ever assembled, you know, and this wasn't off a pad. You know, you look at Alabama and all the the number one players that they get and all the guys go to Alabama, that you, like, that was totally different. We were coming off probation. It wasn't no no steam behind us, no, look, this is what we got. It was a whole bunch of guys that weren't five-star recruits or four-star recruits that had the mentality. I think that's what separated us from the other teams that you can announce outside of teams ahead of us, you know, back in the, the 80s or 70s. When it comes to this new school, this new era of football where you're getting all five stars, you're supposed to be good. Like our class was ranked 14th or 15th in 99, and that was myself, Andre Johnson, Philip Buchanan, Ken Dorsey, uh, Shockey, uh, Vernon Carey, Vince Wilford, we were ranked 14, and that's the class that we recruited. Yeah, that's crazy, right? That's <laughs> a class. I'm blown away. <laughs> yeah, um, but but Clint, man, I got to ask you. Obviously, the Miami time was awesome. You ended up getting drafted by Denver in the 2002 draft, second round. Let's just say your time in Denver, it's just perfection, man. I mean, over 1,500 yards in your first two seasons with the Broncos, over five and a half yards to carry. You set 18 records while you were there. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. 18 franchise records for them. I got to ask you, though, the Mike Shanahan scheme, the zone scheme, you and that was like peanut butter and jelly. So for all that success that you had when you were in Denver, were you shocked at the trade when it went down for you for Champ Bailey and a second round, or you and a second round pick for Champ Bailey? No, it was Champ Bailey in the second round pick Thank for you. me. Um, yeah. So <laughs> when it happened, it happened so quick. You know, I was representing uh, the Broncos at the at the Pro Bowl, and like I did an interview, and all of a sudden, in the next two weeks, it was you know everything happened. So. Um, I don't regret it. You know, I think my time in Denver was so angry that I couldn't, I didn't really even appreciate it or realize what I was doing. Uh, I was so mad because I was a second round pick and I was so determined to make everyone uh, give me my roses or my flowers while I could smell them. And I wanted to dominate every team that passed over me. So my time in Denver was like, Although it was outstanding, I had a blast. Um, one of the greatest team environments that that you could ever be in. I think I had some of the best teammates and Shannon Sharp and Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey, TD, Brian Greasy. Uh, I mean, the list go Al Wilson, John mm-hmm. Mobley, Willie Middlebrooks. Like, that team kind of put us in the situation or put me in the situation to realize what 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 teammates should be, you know, because they covered for each other. Uh, they were on top of it. You know, they, they pretty much uh, ran, the, ran the show. You know, uh, Coach Kubiak, Coach Shanahan were the voices and in, in the leadership, but 
there was capital left on the team and the team held each other accountable. And once I saw that, you know, I thought that's what the entire NFL was. So when I got traded to, uh, when, I, when I got traded, I was expecting that same, you know, that, that same locker room. And it was kind of a culture shock because in Miami, we were, we were close like that. You know, in Miami, the difference was amongst us, when, when the doors closed, we would tear it up. We would fight amongst each other. And, but out in public, you would never, like, you could never tell. In Denver, it was sort of the, the same way. And then once I got to, uh, once I got to D.C., it was different. You know, everything was kind of leaked to the media, and we had to change the culture, which we did. You know, I think if you look from 2004 to 2005, uh, where everyone bought into Coach Gibbs and, and, and everyone laid it on the line, we had the toughest team in the NFL. And that's what, what Coach Gibbs harped on. Like, we're going to be the toughest team. And I would think we had one of the toughest teams. When you think about Marcus Washington and LeVar Arrington, you know, Ryan Clark, uh, Sean T coming in, uh, Antonio Pierce. Like, when you think about the guys that was on that team that eventually left, like AP left, Dockery left, Smoot left, uh, Ryan Clark left. If we keep those guys, you're talking about a different team. Those guys went on to win Super Bowls, and mm-hmm. we had them in our locker room, you know. So uh, it, it, it was a different time, but I think I would put that 2005 uh, Redskins team up against anybody. When it comes to toughness and guys landed on the line, like just unselfish play and we're trying to make it happen, that was one of my favorite teams. Hey, CP, you mentioned – where you got drafted in the second round. And I'm curious, where did you think you were going to get drafted and what were some of your interviews like during the process? Shit, I told them people I was supposed to be the second pick, I mean the third pick in the draft. Uh, <laughs> Texas drafted David Carr. The Carolina Panthers drafted Julius Peppers, which was yeah. both understood. The Texans needed a quarterback to start their franchise. The Panthers, hometown kid and, and Julius Peppers, who went on to be a Hall of Famer, so that was a great pick for them. But at number three, the Detroit Lions drafted Joy Harrison. Yeah. You know, That's right. number four, I think, was Wendell Bryan or somebody to the Arizona Cardinals. You know, uh, that was wasted picks. You could have you put me in the mix. You know, if, if we had to redraft, I think you're looking at Ed Reed, Julius Peppers, and myself. Right. You know what I mean? Like, to come out of that class, I, I, I think that's how you would slice it up. So um, I was right. I told him I should be the third pick in the draft, and I should have been. Yeah, for sure. But obviously it worked out well for you with Denver and then Washington. And Washington obviously believed in you after that trade because they signed you to an eight-year contract with $15.5 million because they believed in you and were all in. Now, there was that adjustment period with Joe Gibbs because I know he was a power run scheme guy. Shanahan obviously liked the zone scheme. You had a depleted offensive line your first year, but you were really able to kind of work with Gibbs and modify it down the road for you to be able to have a lot of success. Now, I'm curious. I know Joe Gibbs is your guy. Like, that that's your guy. Uh, what was the differences of working with Joe Gibbs compared to the uh, the guy that's a genius known as Jim Zorn? Yeah. <laughs> the name should never be mentioned in the same sentence. Um, but from... Coming from Coach Shanahan and Kubiak, understand that that tandem. Uh, Gary Kubiak was a hell of a coach. Um, and he was kind of the, the mastermind under, with Shanahan. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was the two of them. You can't say Shanahan without saying Kubiak because Shanahan didn't have any success without Kubiak, you know. Um, so Kubiak was a hell of a coach, offensive coordinator, cool um, and, and they made football fun. They didn't, football kind of felt like college out in Denver, uh, where you just, you're responsible, your own time. They didn't have any, any wasted time, you know, and, and Bobby Turner was my running backs coach. They didn't waste time in Denver. Everything was strict, precise, let's get this done, perfection, uh, helmets, you know, we didn't have on pads. It was always been the freshest team, the fastest team, playing fast, 
you know, in not making mistakes. And then when I got to, when I got to Coach Gibbs, it was the legend of Coach Gibbs loomed so large and he was such an unbelievable human being that anything he asked or anything he suggested, you trying to get done. Like, oh, Coach, you want me to parachute and turn a flip? Gotcha. You know, um, but he was such a legend and he was so, like, he was so honest as a coach that you laid it on the line for him. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter the scheme. It didn't matter what was going on, what the play call was. It was whatever play they call, I'm going to run this play full speed. I'm going to do it 100 miles per hour. And I think the entire team bought into that with, with Coach Gibbs and Greg Williams. And if you look, our play resembled that. You know, our play uh, resembled Coach Gibbs, the feisty, the never give up, the, the faith, the we're going to make it, we're going to find a way, like stick with it. And uh, Greg Williams, who just all out blitz, like, hey, bro, we gonna, we might be, you know, we might be under man, but we're going to put pressure on you, you know what I mean? So if you think you're going to pick on our secondary, we're sitting the all out blitz, and you just got to throw it up type uh, situation. I think the team brought it to that. I, I think more of the trouble came when we got uh, the OC from Kansas City. Um uh, what was his name? I'm trying to remember his name. I'll look him up right now. But try uh, they don't tip my tongue. In in 06, we got a new offensive coordinator. That kind of changed, you know. I I think Steve Sarkeesian. No, wasn't Steve Sarkeesian? No, no, nah, no, that was that was early. He was older. Uh, Al Saunders. It wasn't Saunders, was it? Al, Al Saunders. Oh, it's we, a friend of the show. We've, we've oh, had him on man. the pod, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Al Saunders. I think Al Saunders took a mentality that was already established in D.C. and he wanted to open it up, but it, it changed so much. You know, it changed the mentality that for two years we had been buying into being tough, being downhill, being, you know, Mike Tyson of the NFL to all of a sudden – Al Saunders came in and brought the mentality of being Floyd Mayweather. And for a lot of the guys that was there, I won't say it was the idea of fit. You know, everyone didn't buy into bobbing and weaving when we felt like we could just throw the haymaker at, at some point. And our haymaker was downhill running. And, you know, Saunders came in and made us run sideline to sideline, which – it worked out great for Liddell Betts. You know, I, I, I think I ended up getting hurt. It worked out great for Betts. Um, he had a phenomenal season and was able to parlay that into a contract during, during this contract year. So it turned out great for him. But I think a lot of guys on, on the offensive side of the ball, their identity was gone. You know, it was just like we had bought into, hey, man, I'm tough, I'm physical, I'm power. You know, in, in two years, I go from lightning to I'm running over anybody who who come through here. You know what I mean? And it was just that mentality. So all of a sudden you're saying, well, now I, I want you to, to outrun everybody again. You know, and I think when I was in when I was in Denver, just watching that Kansas City offense and seeing Priest Holmes and the numbers Dante Hall put up in that offense, I was like a fan, fan of it when I was in Denver. But once I got to D.C., I just felt like, hey, man, we got this downhill mentality that everyone is bought into that we need to, like, we just need to stick with it. And then they kind of went, it kind of went haywire. You know, you had Al Saunders for that one year. Uh, 07, we came back, and then we had the tragedy, the loss of Sean T. And then 08, you had the worst, you know, the worst football coaching um, to get a job. So it changed everything. Hey, CP, um, I'm curious, you know, what were the biggest differences to you between Washington and Denver organization within the actual personnel and the ownership? Night and day, man. Like, <laughs> Bro, Mr. Bowling in Shanahan, like I said, uh, Sunquist Bowling, 
um, Shanahan, Coops, they ran a, it was like the top golf course. You know, it, it was like the the treatment at, at the golf course. We could go play golf. When we got out of practice, like you weren't beat up, you weren't tired, you know, and everybody kind of got together as a team. And, you know, you go over to Coach Shanahan's house and, and hang out and, you know, like everything was kind of team-oriented. And then when, when I got to D.C., it was everything that I didn't know about because I wasn't in that organization. You got to think they were changing over from Spurrier to Coach right. Gibbs. Uh, you, Mr. Snyder had just, you know, uh, really started kicking. Uh, there was a lot going on that the outside world wouldn't, wouldn't know about you know, if you're not involved in that organization. So it was a culture shock. And then it was a young team, you know, in Denver, they had just won a Super Bowl two years prior. So mm. they knew how to win. And then when you got to D.C., you was trying to establish that, like, you had to learn how to win. And although you had a lot of talent, you didn't have, like, the veterans in, in the key positions. You know, in 05, I think we had a shot. I think in 05, uh, in that one year, I, we came in 04, so in 05, where you, you kind of see Sean Springs and Cornelius uh, Griffin, you know, Chris Samuels, LeVar, like where everybody got on one accord. And I think that 05 team, we had a shot. You know, we beat Tampa. We go out to Seattle. We're up and um, I think Carlos Rogers missed, you know, missed the pick six that would have yeah. kind of sealed the game. Sean T had already knocked Sean Alexander out of the game. So yeah. we had everything we needed, and, and we missed that opportunity to end up losing that game. But I think we had already beat the Bears that season. Um, and who else? I think it was Seattle and the Bears or something in the playoffs, which we had beat Seattle and the Bears in 05. Um, so our path is kind of set, you know, that we had a chance to get to the Super Bowl uh, if if we would have won that game in Seattle. But it didn't happen. They switched offensive coordinators. And like I said, from that point on, it was like constantly changed. You know, you switch offensive coordinators. The next year, the tragedy. The next year, to the misery, uh, you switch offensive coordinators again, it was, it was constant change. Yeah, so I'm curious, Clint, we had uh, Demore Smith uh, on a couple weeks ago, of the NFLPA, and he was a bit surprised with some of the takes. We, we kind of were, I'd say, Brad, you gave him the most pushback of all the takes that he had. Yeah, man, he kind of he kind of sounded like an owner to me, Demore Smith. And uh, I was curious, you know, what were some of the things that players were trying to get changed in the NFL when you were playing that still haven't been fixed now? I don't know, man. I was never on any of those boards. I wasn't, you gotta think, I was young. Bro, I yeah. was I was young. I'm I'm 23, 24, tasked with leading the organization. And my leadership was what I saw in Denver was guys get together, guys hang out, guys know each other, family, guys know, like, I know the man standing next to me type mm -hmm. situation. So when I came to D.C., my my leadership was, you know what, man, let's, let's cook out. Let's barbecue at the house and get everybody over here. Let's, let's get the players together to play cards. Let's, you know, for the guys who want to go out on the town, let's get them out on the town. It was trying to accommodate the teammates, like what's gonna make my teammate comfortable that I could I could I could get with him or I can uplift him. So when it came to all that stuff, I wasn't into it. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't even an old head on the team. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. 24, 25. I didn't know anything about about all that. Like when they used to ask me about that, I'm like, man, whatever the team that's what I'm voting. You know what I mean? Like, whatever uh -huh. y'all need me to vote, that's what I'm voting. Uh, not, oh, man, let me go do my due diligence. Let me figure X, Y, Z out. There was enough on my plate. Speaking yeah, I, of uh, some – sorry, Dave. Speaking of some of that, you know, that early career in Washington, 
you know, you were kind of ahead of the curve with like player empowerment, which you see in the NBA now with guys recruiting each other. Can you tell the story about how you got Santana Moss over to Washington? Well, shit, I, how I got Sean T to Washington. You talking about Santana? <laughs> they were going to draft Kellen Winslow. They were set on drafting Kellen Winslow. Oh, wow. And in every day, I would call Coach Gibbs and, and Greg Williams like, Sean T, Sean T. I would tell Dan, Sean T. I would tell Vinny Serrato, Sean T, Sean T. They were like, you really think so? And, and, and I remember – Coach Gibbs finally calling me in to sit down and have a discussion of why I thought Sean T would be a better fit. And he said, we got to get you some help on offense. And I said, Coach, if you want to help me on offense, draft Sean T. He'll give us more opportunity. And we <laughs> all laughed. Like, you really you really believe in this guy. You really like this guy. And I'm like, shit, you're going to really like this guy. Like, <laughs> You're a different animal. I'm telling you, he's a, he's a totally different animal. And for Sean T to come in and have the success that he had, all of a sudden gave me, oh, well, he knows talent. You know what I mean? So then Vinny started calling me. Hey, what did you think about this guy? What did you think about this guy? And, you know, I go, I go back for our off-season workouts. This was after the season. And I link up with, well, matter of fact, I'm lying. The last, when we had our checkout, um, our player checkout after the season over, Lavernius Coles pulls up at my house like, Sam, I'm gone. I'm like, what? I'm like, man, I'm out of here. I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? Like, you just had 100 catches. I think he had 99 catches. Yeah. He was like, man, I'm, I'm out of here, fam. Like, man, this – well, they want to run the ball. This for you. This ain't for me. I want to. I want to go back to New York. I'm like, man, you tripping? Like, don't do it. Go well, speaking. Gibbs, <laughs> bro, Coach Gibbs called me and was like, "Hey, Clinton, you talk to Avarius?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, he just left my house." He was like, "He he wants to leave." The guy had 99 catches. I said, "Coach, man, I don't know what's wrong with Avarius." Like. <laughs> He, he tripping. He was like, so did Rod. I said, Rod? He was like, yeah, Rod Gardner, they both they both want to leave. I said, you know, I can understand Lavernius, but I, I called Rod. I was like, dog, don't do it. Like, bro, you need to, you need to, no, don't do it. And that was my crew, Rod, Lavernius, myself. And I left out. I go to Miami. And Santana come to pick me up. And this is big, this is the beginning of the offseason. So when Santana gets to me to pick me up, he, you know, didn't seem like Santana. You know, Santana kind of wear his emotions on his sleeve. You could tell his mood at, back then, at least. You could always tell Tanner's mood. Like it wasn't no sugarcoating. If he was, if he was up. You know, if he was in a good mood, you could tell mm-hmm. if something was on his mind. So I can kind of tell something was bothering him, something was on his mind, and he wasn't happy in New York. And I'm like, man, you want to come to D.C.? He was like, yeah. Like, man, I'll go anywhere, man. I'm just tired of I'm just tired of this. I was like, let me make a call. I called Coach Gibbs. I'm like, Coach, didn't you say Lavernius want to be traded? He was like, yeah, he wants to go back to New York. I said, so let's get Santana. Let's trade him for Santana. And he was like, you think Santana wants to come here? I was like, ask him yourself. Put him on speakerphone. <laughs> Santana, oh, meet Coach Gibbs. Coach Gibbs, meet Santana. And, you know, it was kind of a short conversation. Like, hey, let us look into this. You know, not crossing any lines. Let us look into this, see what we can make happen. And once they paired us back up, shit, it was on and popping. See, that's the kind of stuff like you see Aaron Rodgers not happy with the Packers right now. It's because like they won't let him do exactly what you just did. That's you. The issue with that is when you're in the locker room, you have a different you have a different connection. You know what you need. You know, you know what you you know, the players that kind of can take you over the top on every team in the NFL. Listen, guys some unsung heroes. For our team, it was 
uh, the Rock Cartwrights, you know, the, the Mike Sellers early on, uh, the Lorenzo Alexander, these unsung heroes, the Antonio Pierce, that whenever you called their name, they responded, but you didn't call their name enough. So, mm -hmm. you know, I remember Antonio Pierce was about to sign uh, a deal with the Redskins, like two years, five million. He was a free agent, and they were going to sign him during the season. Like, I think they offered him like two years, five million. And everyone knew he was going through contract. And I walk out of the locker room, he's coming down the stairs, and he like sad, you know, and I'm looking like, What's up? You know what I mean? Like, what's good? He like, man, they lowballing me, but I'm about to go and sign this. And I was like, I don't mean to get in your business, but you know what they offer you. He was like, man, I'm about to go go take this five million. I was like, hell no, who your agent? He told me who his agent was. And I was like, nah, man, don't do that. And I called, I called Drew Rosenhaus. I put him and Drew in contact. Drew told him, hey. Play the season out. You know, you only got X amount of games left. Play the season out. We'll get this done after the season, you know. And them getting it done after the season led to Antonio going to the New York Giants, you know, which mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. the, the worst. You know what I mean? Like, we wanted AP to be there. Ryan Clark, same way. You know, Ryan Clark wanted to be in D.C. We let Ryan Clark go for Adam Archuleta. Yeah. You know what I mean? We Gave him the bag. We let Ryan Clark go for Adam Archuleta. And then uh, the same with, you know, when we got Haynesworth, guys wanted wanted Bart Scott. Guys wanted right. Bart Scott and Rattler, the D tackle from the Cowboys, was a free agent. So we could have got Bart Scott and Rattler in a two for one. Like we could have got both of them and probably someone else. For what we gave Haynesworth. You know what I mean? So it's situations like that. Brandon Lloyd. I remember we 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 had Brandon Lloyd on our team and they wanted uh Randall L. And they were so oh Randall L, Randall L. I'm like, Benny, like B Lloyd is who we need. Like we need a a guy who can blow the top off of coverage, who can make plays. Oh man, Randall L, Randall L. I said, bro, that's that's trickeration. Like we need Brandon Lloyd. Brandon Lloyd, we get we got we got both of them. We got B Lloyd and uh Randall. And well B Lloyd was outstanding. Mm -hmm. yeah. They just didn't understand his personality. They didn't understand him. They didn't know how to put him in position to win. B Lloyd was one of those guys that was he wasn't a practice player. He was a he was a game. When you put him in, in the game, he gonna get shit done. In practice, you know, B. Lord would be running the go route. If the ball over his head, he looked up, like shoot the ball. Like, That's a duck, you know. Um, That's a duck. And, and, and the coaches didn't understand him. But B. Lord went on. If you look at B. Lord's career after he left, you look at uh, Walt Harris' career after he left, Antonio Pierce after he left, um, those guys, Ryan Clark after he left, like those guys went on to like elevate. And we had them on our team for – well, no. yeah. And we let him go. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, again, obviously, going back to you, you had an amazing career. Obviously, again, should be a Hall of Fame career. Uh, that's another discussion for another day. I think we all believe that. I think one of the things that people don't talk about enough, though, is your impressive TV commercial career with Eastern Automotive Group. You got, we had Jason Campbell on the show. He wouldn't sing it for us. We had uh, Santana Moss on the show last month. He wouldn't sing it for us. Uh, any chance you remember the jingle and want to remind everybody the, the song? I would say before, but look, this is a this is another one of those situations where I put everybody together. You know, the the owner of Eastern Motors, Robert Bassett, uh ended up. I think maybe Labar was was the initial contact, and me, Labar, and. Um, Lavernius did the, the original commercial with Brendan Haywood. We did the original Kevin Jones, who was a, a VTech guy. So we did the original commercial. And after that, 
I introduce them to to everybody. I introduce them to to Sean. I introduce them to Santana. I introduce them to uh, Dan. You know, and it was just one of those situations where Easton's was good when it was good, but then once he he kind of got the connection with with Dan or with the organization, he started seeming shady. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for that to be such a legendary commercial, such a legendary chant, you know, all of a sudden he changed, you know, and I was, we did those commercials in my house, in my yard, like, those were my homeboys, those were my friends, and I'm like, oh yeah, you want Tanner? I got him, you want Sean? I got him, you want, who you want? You want Cooley? I got him, you know what I mean? So, it's kind of one of those situations, like, and to this day, as men, and I tried to squash it. You know, I tried to reach out and, and have a conversation with him just to say, you were, you were too good to me and my family. Um, because when when the fam come in town, you know, oh, man, I need a Suburban. Okay. I need an Escalade. Okay. You know, whatever it was. My homeboy is coming here. I need a car to drive. Okay. You know, and uh, we, we had such a good run for it to end salty. You know, I still see the commercial. It's still a memory, but I put that shit together. Yeah, people don't see that. Like, yeah, like obviously people are like, oh, they're they're recruiting the guys, but you were the guy behind it, which is kind of cool to actually know that like and it's yeah, I think it's normal to go ahead, Brad. It it, it sounds like you're you're kind of like the responsible for everything good that happened in Washington. Bro, Do you, <laughs> you know what? but look, this is what's crazy. And I don't go about I don't go about having these conversations, but just because we're there. I introduced Wale to the Redskins. Like Wale was just a huge <laughs> fan, right? That's crazy. Like Wale used to hang out with us, cool it at the house. They were recording in the basement. One of my homeboys had um, had a little studio in the basement, so Wale used to come through and kick it. You know what I mean? And he was just one of those DC everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I introduced him to the Redskins. I, I I took him like, okay, you know, you want to go meet the guys. Let's go. You know what I mean? And it parlayed to something bigger, which was great. I introduced him to LRG. Those were my people. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, KLD, LRG. Like, it's so many introductions that I made that I don't discuss. And, and LRG sponsored his first mixtape. If you look back, LRG what, the, the mixtape about nothing? first mixtape. Nah, way back before that. LRG, all over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just one of those situations it's so many stories and so many connections like when shit don't add up to the outside world, he's like, man, how this happened? You know, I remember calling D hall on the flight to, to Vegas, you know, like, bro, come to the Redskins. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like Oakland just released him. Where he going to go? We need a cornerback. D hall. We need you in DC. Let's make it happen. Where did he end Do up? You- do you ever have like a, a desire to have like a bigger hand in the Washington front office? Like if, if they wanted to make you, you know, head of scouting or or like a like a you know somebody they they look to 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 talk about player development, like would you ever be interested in something like that? I would love to see that's more of something that I would do. I'm not with this coaching shit. Like that's too much time. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And then even when you talk about scouting and being a part of the front office. Them people in there, you think players are in there all day. Like, they're in there 8, 9 a.m. to 10, 11 p.m. Like, it ain't that much talking in the world. Either the kid can play or he can't. You know, and I think that's right. the biggest issue is the, the assumption of the old wave is we got to work. We got to work. But you got to work smart, not hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the people that's in place now, they're doing an outstanding job at, at recruiting and putting stuff together. I think what Rivera and his staff is doing, a lot of those guys, when you look at, if you listen to some of the interviews I've done two, three years ago covering the team, so we got to get younger. We got to get playmakers. We got to get explosive at the right positions. Uh, you got to get some overall team speed and, you know what I mean, sideline to sideline guy on defense, someone who can run. Three years later, they got it. You know, I talked about this three years ago. So it would be something I would love to do just because I think I'm a huge 
fan of, of, of football. You know, I'm a huge college football fan. So I watch football like it's second nature to me. You know what I mean? So I get an opportunity to see these guys when everybody was looking like, who is Davis? Who is this kid they drafted from Kentucky? I'm like, man, I watch this dude bust head, sideline to sideline. You know what I mean? Like, if if I had to give you a sleeper, the running back from Mississippi State last year, awesome kid. I think he's going to go on to do wonderful things in, in the NFL. You know, maybe he went undrafted this year. Uh, the kid that they got from Buffalo. that they Jared Patterson. I think he's going to be really good. You know, it's, oh, yeah. he's small. He is. Man, that dude was a playmaker. And that's what you have to look for. That's what you have to find. You don't get the same opportunity when you're not the guy. You know, um, in the NFL, you don't get that opportunity to showcase. But wherever he does get an opportunity, I think he's going to be, he's going to be good, too. So, seems like a known brain. Seems like a no brainer right here. Get Clint Portis in the booth. I mean, a former player so close. Man. You clearly have an eye for talent. Like when I hear uh, Fred Smoot talk about some of these players, he dives into a player's perspective that's way different from you know the media analysts. And so, I, it, when you speak about these players, like it, it does speak volumes. And I, I don't know, understand why you can't utilize that resource for someone that's given the franchise you know, so much. I think so many people be, and this is just around the league. So many people be buddy-buddy. You look at the people that call the shots, that put stuff in. It's like buddy-buddy. Like, oh, the guy who is, is running this is yeah. my sister boyfriend husband. Or yeah, yeah. My, my uncle girlfriend grandson. You know, like, <laughs> it, it's not the, the typical you would figure. You look at the NBA, right? And I yep. played with James Jones was a part of that 99 recruiting class at the University Finals. of And he get in a position in Phoenix with the Suns who been stinking it up. All of a sudden, they have a great, you know, a great run in the bubble. And everybody is like, oh, that was the bubble. That was the bubble. They were isolated. It's young guys focused. He's in the finals. Yep. He's in the finals. Look at, so why look at Elton Brand in Philly. Story? And why different from their normal pick. Why isn't this the biggest story to say, you know what, look at what Elton Brand is doing. Look at what James Jones is doing. These players know, you know, like all of a sudden Jason Kidd just got a job. Chauncey Billups just got a job. Mm-hmm. These, yep. They know. Why Why does it have to be someone who's never played, but they studied the game so much? He did all this studying and don't know shit that's going on when it's live, when these bullets flying at you, when these helmets click clacking. Like he don't know what to do. What's so, uh what's the voice yeah. that's that's familiar? What's one change that you'd make in Washington right now if you were given the, the reins as GM? Mm. One change that I would make. I don't know, man. I think you have to I think you have to be around the team. You have to, you have to listen to the players. That's what I would do. I would, I would hear my leaders out. I would make my players' voices a part of my decision. If Aaron Rodgers was in my locker room and he said, "Hey, get me a receiver or get me this and get me that," that's what I'm going to get. Now, if it fails, if 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 this experiment fails. Then I say, well, Aaron, I listen to you. But if I never listen to him and I end up in the situation where he won't out, what can I say? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not listening to you. I'm doing what I want to do. You've been telling me I need some receivers. I need somebody to go along with Devontae Adams. I need somebody yeah. to go along with, with, with Jones. You see what I'm saying? Like, why not listen? And then you're drafting guys that's not even touching the field. You drafted a quarterback. Behind Aaron Rodgers, it's gonna stay behind Aaron Rodgers until Aaron Rodgers decide I'm ready to leave. It's right. like a marriage, you know, you build up resentment for the for the organization almost in a sense. Right. Um, so CP, you're not only considered one of the most electric running backs of our time, uh, you also kind of have a goofy side, should we say, right? Uh, most people will probably remember you for your talent coming out of Miami and just dominating the NFL. But others are definitely going to remember you, as you could tell from my attire, for your after-game, post-game interviews. 
So can you give us a little background about how that kind of started? Having fun, man. I think that same season, that 05 season that we were discussing, it was kind of, I think we had a, a five, maybe a five game or a six game losing streak. Um, so I think at the time we were three and six, maybe. We had just lost to the San Diego Chargers uh, in overtime. Ladanian uh, came out of a Sean T tackle, scored in overtime, and everyone had ridden us off. It was just like the death of the, the dead skins, you know. Um, it was one of those situations. And the morale was low. Um, I think the finger pointing was starting starting to happen. And we just needed some, some energy. You know, as a team, we needed some energy. So I come out playing around, trying to cheer the guys up. And you know, trying to trying to get some energy. I wasn't practicing, and you know, I'm out here playing around, messing with dudes, uh, making them laugh. We having a good time, and it was one of those one of those rain days. So everything was pushed up. Everything was condensed, and the media came out early. So the media come out early, and I'm in costume. Normally, I would you know take it off before any media said, but they came out early and they caught me in it. So I just was playing it off and making light of our situation. You know, I think uh, Southeast Jerome was the first one. We were three and six. <laughs> if you go back and you listen every week, it was like whatever the media was saying, that's what, what I talked about. That's what I discussed. So if you listen to Southeast Jerome, it was kind of us being dead, us being gone. You see the following week we won. Southeast Jerome come come up missing, you know. Um, the next week is Coach Jenkins, Spanky, or whoever <laughs> with the X's and O's. You know, all this was media talk. Like, why aren't they doing X, Y, Z? And I just would implement it into our skit. Like, it wasn't even – and what's crazy is I had went to – I was in Atlantic City. I saw a costume store, and I bought, like – two or three costumes because Halloween was coming up. So I had like like three, matter of fact, I think I had three or four costumes just saying I'm going to do something silly for Halloween. And then I do it in practice. So I ran out of costumes after week three, but we had, we, we were on a three game win streak. I remember the first with the Southeast Jerome coming in, like our offensive line, like what kind of fucked up personality are you going to be today? You know, like, they didn't like that. Jansen and, and all them dudes, they did not like those characters. They hated it. Um, week two, after week two, we win. Um, some guys started to buy in. I think if you look at – no, it wasn't week three. So, I think week three was my last week doing it. And we had won three games in a row. So when I come in for week three, I pull up and, like, it's CNN, trucks. Like, I'm thinking somebody got fired, somebody died. Like, I mean, somebody died. Like, what happened? So when I pull in, it's so many news trucks on the lot. I I come in the door like, Miss BJ, like, what happened? And, you know, it was like, what you mean? I'm like, well, all these trucks here. It's like, oh, that's media. They here for your, um, for your interview. And I'm like, what? I don't have an outfit. I don't have glasses or wig or anything. So I come down. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not doing a character. Like I don't have anything. In the the team, um, the media relations. Like, what do you want? I'm like, bro. I don't have anything. Like, I don't have a pair of glasses. I'm. I wasn't prepared to do it. And I come back in from our. Um, morning walkthrough, and my locker got so much shit. Like they done, they went out and bought so much stuff. And if you look, that's the same time I had all of my teammates: Chris Cooley, Liddell Betts, Rock Cartwright. Like that's when all of us were on the stairs doing it. And that's just because I wasn't gonna do it unless if everybody chimed in and did it with me. That's when the entire team bought into my characters. All of a sudden. The offensive line, they began bringing glasses and wigs and 
oh, my kid or my wife says you should do this. And I'm like, these these same people, like, what? Jansen just gave me, like, Clint, where are you going to be today? Like, you He's giving you like shit, me. exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even like me. I know you don't like me, but they bought in. And if you look at that run, it was, bro, we, when I say 2005, we did it together. It was a, a group effort. But this is the other thing people don't realize. We did that with the Wizards. The After every game, the Redskins and Wizards would meet up. I kid you not. We would meet up at K Street. Um, me and Gilbert Arenas talk about this often. Uh, uh, Karan Butler, uh, Deshaun Stevenson. Bro, we would meet. If we played the game on Sunday, we went to K Street after when I say we had the city on fire, like no one, no promoter or anyone else would tell you it was a better time than 2005 uh, in D.C. I think we beat Dallas. After we beat Dallas, you would have thought it was a Super Bowl one. It was so many. <laughs> like it was so crazy. That was, in the, the, city itself. That was the Henny game, right? No, no. The Henny game was Jacksonville. That was the, Jacksonville, the okay. Was, was Jacksonville. So Jacksonville is where that started. That was oh, that was Santana's honey game. Oh, that's right. No, he did tell that, yeah. that was both. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't Santana. Oh, okay, okay. At that time, you know the Jaguars used to have the best defense in the NFL. They had uh, uh-huh. John Henderson, Marcus Stroud, uh, yeah. Mike Pete. You know what I mean? They they had a squad, and it was just gonna be one of those tough games. Me and Santana was sitting in the car. I'm like, dog, like we already know we got to go out here and put this work in. You know what I mean? And I'm like, boy, it's going to be a long one because them two tackles, you can't move Marcus Stroud and John Henderson. You can't move one of them. How you going to move yep. two? And we went out there and did our thing. You know what I mean? I think we played the Vikings. We played the top defenses. Vikings, Jaguars, Bears, um, maybe the Jets. Like, if you look at our, our schedule, and you look at those defensive ranks, we played the top – we played at least six of the top ten defenses in the NFL that year. Yeah, hey, Clinton, I want to be respectful of your time, man. We really appreciate having you on. We're going to get you out of here on this. So we do a little triple play, rapid fire, this or that style. Some of these questions you may never have been asked before in your life. So are you game? Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, so number one, Joe Gibbs or Jim Zorn? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. All right, I'll go next one. I'll go next, next. one. <laughs> Favorite cereal? Frosted Flakes. Oh, yeah. All right, I can dig it. I can dig it. Better uh, better safety, Sean Taylor or Ed Reed? 1A, 1B. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, would you rather fight Mike Tyson once or talk like him the rest of your life? Thought like him the rest of my life. Ain't going in the rain against him. All right. Would you rather be able to reverse one decision every day or stop time for 10 seconds every day? Reverse a decision. Mm. All right. I dig it. I dig it. Would you rather let a family member access your browsing history or your boss access your browsing history? It don't matter. I don't search for anything. Both of them can do it. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer right there. All right. Uh, would you rather – I'm sorry. Do you pull your toilet paper from the top or the bottom? Bottom. Your bottom guy? And actually, no. Yeah. I, Me too. Actually, I am too. I don't usually do the top too much. All right. Uh, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Probably that one duck-sized horse. You think you could take him? No, I can outrun him. <laughs> <laughs> four, two, six feet. I like it. Uh, last one. You're against the four of us in your prime. You're running downhill. All four of us are coming at you. Do we bring you down? No. Because <laughs> I pick, I pick the one that's out of position and run through him. <laughs> that's gonna be. That's gonna be Dave. You know, I got you know how hard it is for four people to coordinate, like running at the same. You know what I mean? Like that's hard to do. Gang Somebody tackle, but be out of yeah. position. Yep. Nah, I got I, one. I got one. I want to sprinkle in there. 
because uh, it's right around the corner. September 1st, I know you're Virgo born. You're 39. So what you got lined up for 40? What costume are you going to bring out for number 40? Hey, you know what I really want to do for my 40th birthday? Get a yacht. Like, I want to have a freedom party. I want everybody to just be free. Come in your natural state. Have a yacht party, like, in, in like, off the coast of Spain or Europe somewhere. Like, that's really what I'm, that's really what I want to do, man. Like, just go be free. Like, the hell with it. Bring on, bring, bring the whole crew together. Get Steve Francis out there. Get Gilbert. Hey. Who I need to get is everybody that was on that Vikings boat. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, All right, Clay, man. We really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was an absolute treat to be able to talk with you today. All right, man. Y'all be easy. Have a good time. 